The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Today I'd like to talk about how the Word of God speaks to us and does the work of God in us. And this is more of a testimony in many ways because about a year and a half ago, I felt like I was supposed to read through the book of Romans. And I like the book of Romans. It's deep. It's very deep. In fact, this book changed the world. This book, literally in the 1500s, this book powerfully changed the whole complexion of nations. It started actually in some ways wars. Not directly, but indirectly. This book powerfully changed the world. And there was a young monk. Can you throw that picture up? That we know is Martin Luther. He said that the, the book of Romans is the purest example of the gospel. And this book rattled his cage. He grew up in a system where you had to pay for your sins. You had to, um, even if you were you're poor, you had to pay to get cleansing from God to get to heaven or purgatory in their understanding. And there was lots of mis- mis- uh, confusion about how to reach Jesus in that day. And when this man read the book of Romans... It wasn't allowed for everybody to read. It wasn't available to everyone. Especially in chapter 1, it penetrated his heart so deeply that he went and nailed 93 or 95 thesis statements on these doors of the Wittenberg Castle Cathedral. The doors are still there. I think there's another picture. This is a picture from a movie. Obviously, we don't have any real photos of Martin Luther. But if you've not seen that movie, it's awesome. It's called Luther. Um, But this little act of stapling or hammering, actually, on the doors of the cathedral shook the world, and it all came out of the book of Romans. It's that you could be justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The grace of Christ not only just cleanses us and makes us perfect, but it also, right now, if you receive Jesus Christ, you are counted as forgiven and cleansed immediately. It's credited to you as righteousness. It's given to you as righteousness. And then you walk it out immediately. And this changed everything. So when I read from this book, or if anybody ever tells you this is an old book, this book still has power. This book has changed the world over the generations. As men and women have sat before, meditated on it, and let it change their thinking and shift what the culture says is true to what God says is true. This can change not only the world, but our hearts. But how do we tap into it? Many of you for years have have been told, you got to read your Bible, you got to do this. And there's this like, oh, how can I get into it, isn't there? Like, I don't understand it. It's such a big book. That's the biggest book I've ever read. I've only read a paperback. You know, there's so many things that can hold us back from reaching into this. But this is the power. From this comes the truth that you will be able to become the very shining light of Jesus Christ in this generation and time, just like Martin Luther did in his day and time. So what I want to tell you is from Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up, and I'm going to read five verses from this. 
It says, and mine might be a little different than what's up down there, so I'll read from the screen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Are they both working? Okay. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And we'll just end that, we'll end that right there. The key that I want you to see here is I was reading through Romans. I felt I should read through it a number of times. And one time I was coming across this verse. And I saw the bit that says rejoice in suffering, which is the ESV version. And I, I thought in my mind, that's impossible. Suffering is not meant to be rejoiced in. Suffering is the exact opposite of what... What happens in me, or rejoicing is the exact opposite of what happens to me when I suffer or when I face difficulties. I end up in a pit. I end up discouraged. Suffering produces a lot of things that are not good. So why is this in here? And the only reason I took a second look at it is because there was a, a lady in our church in Orlando who one day her car broke down. Or it was having trouble. It hadn't fully broken down. It was facing, it was smoking and doing lots of nice things to the environment. But she said, something to the praise of God. Like, well, God will provide. And it wasn't flaky. It wasn't just lighthearted. It was like she was secure in her hope in God that God would provide. And in the midst of her difficulty, she rejoiced. And as I was reading this, oh, wait. There is a place to literally be able to come to a real place where when difficulties happen, my heart can focus on something else that's higher and greater and better than what I'm going through. If I try to do it by myself, I'd just be religious, to be honest. I thought about it and said, God, only you can do this. Only you can make a heart rejoice in suffering. Only you can bring my mind to a place to do it. So not flaky and weird and just saying, you know, nice things when I really feel miserable. How can my heart really say, God is going to take care of me. God is my hope. As you read the rest of this, it begins to unfold. As you meditate on the word of God, that's when the word becomes richer and fuller and you begin to grab hold of things that you thought you never could grab hold of. Look at the rest of this verse. It says in verse 2, and I'll just read it from here, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now let me just, these are big words. And we really have to break them down. If you just read through that, you've not touched the word. You've just breathed through them. Hope, we rejoice in glory of God. What does it mean to rejoice? Rejoicing is a full expression of confidence that God is going to come through. You don't rejoice when something doesn't really spark your heart. You rejoice when something touches you. When it really rises up within you, that's when you rejoice. This is a position of rejoicing. Then hope. What is hope? We throw this word around like it's just nothing. The, the dictionary says it is the expectation of future good. And if you don't have hope, it's probably one of the cores of mental illness. 
If you don't have some hope for the future, that something good is going to come, just like Sarah was talking about. If you don't have hope in the good, then what do you have? If you're a Christian today and you don't have hope in something good, the enemy has stolen great things from you, and you need to restore that which has been stolen. Then last of all, this other big word in this chain, to rejoice, a strong position, hope that something good is going to happen. In what? In the glory of God. Now, that's a really nice religious word, isn't it? How many of you have ever taken a moment to stop and think what glory means? Uh, Nobody, okay. Um, It's just one of those words we say and we don't even think about. It's in the Bible all over the place. But what is the glory of God? You read in um, Chronicles that when the glory of God came into the first temple, the priests and ministers could not even stand up. They couldn't do what by law they were required to do because the glory was so great. They fell flat on their face and they couldn't do anything. The word glory literally comes from the word weight. God has weight. He has volume. He's substance. He's greater than any thought or concept we could have. His glory, they've come up with this word because the weight of who he is is immense. And when the tangible weight of God, the substance, the volume of God comes upon you, it is something to hope in because it's more than we could ever contain or conceive. Can we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? When we touch his glory, we can. When we begin to touch his character, his wonder, his weight, if you will. So there's a road here. But then it says, but we also rejoice in suffering. Because suffering produces, now I want to stop you here. Suffering, as I've said before, does not always produce these good things. Suffering does not always produce endurance, which the scripture here says, then can go to character and then on to hope. Doesn't always. You've got to get on his train tracks. And his train tracks say how you get on the place where you maintain your hope, and not just any hope, not just like nice hope, like you're going to have a nice birthday present or, or a nice Christmas, but hope in the glory of God in the weight, in the majesty, in his ability to overcome every obstacle you face. Turn everything around for the good that you come through a difficult situation and say, I hated the situation, but I'm better for it. And I'm rejoicing that he can do it again and again and again. And I will become stronger and mightier in my faith and rise up in my generation and time, just like Martin Luther did. From the word of God, he received the strength to go against everything his culture offered. The government... The religious system, he rose through faith in Christ alone is my salvation. And he burst through the lies of his generation because of the word of God. Now, when we begin to choose to rejoice in suffering, and I've mastered this, okay? (laughs) With four girls at home, I have many opportunities to test this truth. When one is flailing on the floor, throwing away the very thing she wants. <laughs> we watched a video on, on uh, toddlers, and the mother says, somebody asks, why is the baby crying so much? The mother says, he wanted cheese, 
I gave him cheese. <laughs> There's no sense. But it's difficulties. And those of you who have young children know those difficulties. But all of us have numerous difficulties. Maybe they don't rise to the level of suffering like many people carry. But they're difficulties. How do I get there? How can I choose to do that? I'm walking that out. And this message really isn't about that. It's not just about that. It is about how, when you choose to obey the word of God and begin to walk with him, it opens the door for those around you to touch it too. Because that lady in Orlando chose to rejoice in the suffering of her broken, or breaking down car. She spoke that word of hope to God that he would come through for her. That's how I stopped on this verse. I literally would have passed by it. But that thought, the Holy Spirit put in my mind that moment, helped open this up. So there is a way. There is a pathway, though, to go down the tracks, to choose to rejoice in suffering, that your endurance is built, your character is built, so that regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens, regardless of how many years pass, I've been a Christian 30 years, there's a lot of discouragements that have happened along the road that could stop it, but he can bring us to the place where we hope, not just in hope, but hope that he is still in charge. He still can turn all things for the good. He still has power over everything. His glory and his weight is immense. And it doesn't matter what the nations say. It doesn't matter what professors in colleges say. It doesn't matter what people who choose not to believe say. He is God. And the weight of who he is, I can trust him. I can hope in. But you've got to choose to be on that road. You've got to get on his train tracks. Because suffering can do lots of other things. Now, how does this happen? How does this work begin to happen? One, we have to saturate in the word of God. To hear the voice of God, we need that working of his word. Because his word is alive. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I have touched the life of the word because I was called many years ago to begin saturating five, ten chapters a day for seasons. And you begin to get this overall picture of who God is, this bigger picture of what he's about, and then things start falling in place. As you read, you will come across these things that seem impossible. Let me mention a few of the impossibilities of God. Things that should bother us because we're not... I need to be closer, huh? Oh, I can? Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Great. I was concerning, concerned that I was getting light and loud and loud. Okay. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. When we come to the Word of God, there are many things in the Word that if we take it seriously, if we look at it, they are impossibilities in our own flesh. Here's one. Here's one that should really bother us. You're a Christian. You're called to honor other people above yourself. Go home. Try it. It's not the way we're built. Our human nature says, me first. I'm going to take care of me. Don't worry about everybody else. They're second, third, fourth, fifth. Me. Honor other people above myself? How do you do that? Pray without ceasing. Try that one on your own strength and not get flaky, okay? 
Worship continually. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, his praise shall continually be upon my lips. I tell you one time that we were in a, a massive season of prayer and worship in the United States. It was just really intense. And the enemy slid this thing in and said, do you really need to worship that much? Really, come on. This is, this is not what God called you to. You've got to get a little bit norm, more normal here. And it wasn't like we were doing it forever. And I, was, I struggled with it. It was a thought in the back of the prayer times. And, it was there. and then I came across 34.1. His praise shall continually be upon my lips. This is his word. This is where I need to get my heart to. That it flows out of me like water. Like it is in me. It's not something I try to do. It comes out of me like wells. And it can happen. Can you imagine if these impossibilities of God became part of who you were? Because I'll tell you, these things, because they're so great and grand, they're the character and nature of Christ that he's trying to build in you. These impossibilities are the life of God. They're the very life of Jesus, and he's trying to make you like Jesus. And when you begin to see these truths that seem impossible, they are. They are in your own flesh. But thank God he gave us the Holy Spirit to walk these out. You are not alone. You're not alone. You're not supposed to try on your own. So what are you supposed to do? You read. And when something speaks to you out of the word, when you're meditating on it, when you're reading the word, oh, I don't know about that one. Love thy neighbor as myself? Whoo! Impossible! Say it right now, impossible. impossible. Say it with me, impossible. impossible. Go home and talk to your neighbor and love him like yourself. It ain't going to happen. Not without God. So you sit before it. And you don't do what we're used to doing. Uh, can't do that. Not really possible. Nice idea. Isn't Christianity got some grand themes? That's a wonderful idea. Christianity is superior to all the other faiths because we have these great ideas. That's not what it's there for. When you read and you saturate in the word and you see something like love your neighbor as yourself, Proverbs says, treat it like an intimate friend. This bit of wisdom is supposed to be kept close to your heart. Like treasure it, like silver and gold. Like I don't know how to get there, but this is what the word says. And this is part of the life Jesus died to give me. That I could rise up in my nation. And as I take hold of these things, other people around me will be released into it. Just like the girl who worshipped God when her car was breaking down. It releases things to other people. Martin Luther's proclaiming truth released a generation to know God. He died for the face of God, that the face of his generation would know the truth of who God is. He's not a judge trying to push you down. He is a God who came to earth to lift you up. So we treat these. We try not to dismiss them. We tape them on our windows. We tape them in our car. We put them up on the mirror in the morning. We treat them like treasure, not just as an idea. This is my life. This is Christ's life. This is what I must have. I don't want to leave this earth without touching something of it. I might not perfect it. I might not love my neighbor perfectly, but I am going in this road. God, show me. Show me. Holy Spirit, give me strength to do this. Let your life come. 
Let the reality of your word speak over my life and let everyone else around me be released to enter into deeper truth. Before Jesus left the earth, just in the end of Matthew, he's being lifted up into the heavens and there's his disciples around him. And you know, these guys, probably most of them had never left Israel. Jesus hadn't. Most of them only knew the lake nearby and knew how to fish, and they knew lots of great things, but they hadn't been anywhere. And Jesus says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, discipling them and teaching them everything I've taught you. That, in a human mind, must have been ludicrous. What is the end of the world? <laughs> Who knows what their concept was? Who knows, Rome? I don't know. But when we have these impossibilities, we don't want to pass them by. We want to meditate on them. We want to hold them up and treasure them. Like Proverbs says, an intimate friend. Think about a close friend, how you want them near. I want this truth near me. Yes, it convicts me. Yes, it challenges me. Yes, I don't see it. Yes, it bothers me because I'm not loving my neighbor correctly. I know that. But I want to touch this because the glory of the name of Jesus is at stake. The people around me need to see it. I need to see it. I need what you have to come out so that I can be released into more things too. He spoke to me, rejoice in suffering. I don't know what he has in you. I don't know what he's trying to speak. I don't know what he's trying to release. But as you sit before the word, and then you hear his voice say, ooh, you treasure it. Treasure it. Don't just treat it like just anything. This is the voice of God to you. This is him trying to bring you up to new things. So you taste life that he meant for you to have. Believe it or not, I'm over. I think we're really early. But I want to say to you, this doorway that God shows you is not meant for you just to acknowledge and say, oh, rejoice in suffering. Oh, love my neighbors. These are really nice things. They're doorways. We have to go and knock. To say, I'm not leaving this door until I pass through. I don't know how to get on the other side, but I will. There is a documentary by a woman from the north of Uganda. And I, well, it's, it tells her story, part of her story. It's called The Unconventional War. And in Uganda, in 1996, a terrible thing happened. There was a nice Catholic or Anglican school out in the country. And they had built walls around it to protect them. A very safe place. And families much of their money to send their children to good schools where they learn good morals and they have good Christian faith upbringing. And one day in 1996, the LRA, which was a group of terrorist rebels, broke into the, broke into the, the compound and literally everybody rushed into the safe house, the, the strong house, and they had enough time to break through the concrete walls and abduct all these children. Now, I'm going to clean it up because there are some children here. But all the parents came to the school that day knowing who took their children and what was going to become of them. 
They were going to become slaves in various forms. They were going to be raised to be terrorists and all other kinds of things. And these were people who cared deeply about their children, wanted the best for their children, loved their children. Their children weren't dead. Maybe in some ways it was worse for them. This one woman on the video, and you can see it if you, it's called The Unconventional War. It's on DVD now. She's a Christian woman, and she said she was in her house one day, and she heard next door house, she heard somebody come in, and they spoke with the accent of somebody from the area that the LRA, the terrorist group, came from. And she said she went ballistic. Well, that's, that's an American word. She lost it. She ran over to her neighbor's house, screamed uncontrollably, kicked this man out of the village, just said all kinds of terrible things because of the anger and hatred that was against the people that came from that area because they had birthed this group of terrorists. Totally raging. And she knew in her heart it was wrong. She started to meet and pray with these other parents. Oh, you see her picture here. I'll explain that picture in just a moment. She prayed with a group of parents. And the Lord spoke to her heart that she needed to forgive the rebels. Can I say it again? Impossible. Impossible in human strength. Impossible that you know your daughter is out in some field somewhere. Terrible things actively happening. And God says, forgive them. Impossible. But she didn't pass by it because she knew it was part of her faith. She knew it was the road she had to go to. She knew it. It was difficult. She prayed with other families. She sought God. And in the video, she proclaims, she came to this point, God, I do forgive them. I do. I speak out forgiveness over them. I speak peace over their lives. I speak blessing to them. Impossible rising up over terrible circumstances. Then she said on the video, I knew I had broken through because I heard that accent from the north. Instead of hatred, my heart leapt for joy at the hope of what God was going to do. Completely changed the circumstance. Completely changed her outlook. Completely changed those around her. Helped other families come into peace and, and even forgiveness. Not everybody. But it opened the door for those around her. I found this picture online. This is the day her miracle happened. Her baby came home. She had another baby with her. But her baby came home alive. By the grace of God, it's a miraculous story, how she escaped the rebels, how she escaped the camp, how they didn't get shot when they were supposed to be shot. And here's her baby in her arms at the airport. They fly her back, and this woman receives what she shouldn't have. We can hope in a God because of the weight and the wonder of who he is. We can put everything in his hands because he is God most high, and we can trust him. We can't trust in a lot of things, but we can trust in the glory of God. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.